White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. McKnight. Good morning and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Got an hour to hang with you, talk a little White Sox and baseball here on the mothership ESPN 1000. Here's the particulars of what we've got going today. You can get in touch with us via all the usual channels. You can hit us up on Twitter at ESPN White Sox is the Twitter handle that you want to follow for all of the news from the ESPN White Sox Radio Network. Tune into that. Make sure you give us a follow. Got a lot of stuff coming up for you uh, as soon as spring training starts, which is hopefully soon and hopefully on time. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Jesse Rogers of ESPN is going to be our guest in nine in the 930 segment, and we will do We'll do kind of a, a lockout recap and review. We've only been touching on it in, in a couple of minutes at a time here on White Sox Weekly, mostly knowing that, you know, we've got enough news. We've got enough White Sox topics to get to. But the lockout, of course, is top of mind for a lot of baseball fans. And I, I wanted to get into it a little bit for the first time in, gosh, a couple of months, I think, here uh, with Jesse Rogers at 930. He's been covering it really well for ESPN and ESPN.com. Uh, so, again, him at Jess, uh, him at 930. We've got our season review and preview uh, segments coming up here. We've touched just about every position on the diamond for the White Sox. And I want to revisit uh, starting pitching and the bullpen in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, but today we dig into left field. We've been going position by position for the White Sox, both what happened in 2021 and what you can expect from the club, or at least what we know we can expect from the club in 2022 and beyond. So we'll focus in on left field and guys like Aloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn. You'll hear a little bit from Marco Patti and Oscar Colas, two big names in the White Sox organization over the last couple of weeks with the international signing for the agency coming to a close. Marco does some amazing work on getting those young players signed to the White Sox. He's been a huge part of the Sox organization over the last oh, decade plus or so. You'll hear from him. You'll hear from Oscar Colas in his own words through the voice of Billy Russo. Uh, the Spanish-language translator for the White Sox. And we'll talk a little Hall of Fame this morning as well. Uh, That's the plan for this morning. Oh, you can watch us on Twitch, too, ESPN 1000 Chicago. That's our Twitch channel. Hello to all of the long Twitchers. Uh, A little bit of a different look today. Tyler Aki is our producer, as always, here on ESPN White Sox. Good morning, Tyler. How are you, buddy? I'm fantastic, Connor. Uh, Good. A little... A little more optimistic, lockout-wise? Are you a little you more know, optimistic? I, I think, yes. I mean, listen, the fact that both sides are actually engaging in conversation is a good thing. Um, I don't than know no that conversation. It is. It's better than no conversation. And, and speaking of, uh, or at least speaking of a, a lack of or a dearth of something, you'll notice if you are watching on the Twitch stream uh, that it's just got the, it's got the screen up there. It doesn't have my beleaguered face here at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning as it usually does. And you're not staring at Tyler anyway. Uh, Tyler is kind enough to let me work from home today. Full disclosure. I, uh, I get married in a week. So we're trying to limit the exposures and whatnot. Not that I'm worried about you, Tyler, or anything like that. It's just, you know, the blue line and everything else. So 
uh, doing the show. It's a home game today for, for White Sox Weekly. Um, and we'll use, uh, we'll, you'll hear from Tyler. We'll talk a little Hall of Fame. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers in a little bit as well. Hey, Sox fans, you can start planning your group outings to the ballpark. We've got party areas of all sizes that are perfect for you and your group. You can learn about those spaces, including the Diamond Suites or a patio party. Uh, for more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Those patio parties are some of my absolute favorite things to do at the ballpark when I've got the time. So, as you know, we've been going through position by position here on White Sox Weekly. And I thought left field was a good place to be here in the final show of January 2022. We've gone around the diamond and talked quite a bit about just about every other spot And and the way we're doing this is going back and taking a look at every player that worked in that particular position last season. I mean, not like a deep dive on everybody, but I think, you know, given the looking back at 2021 and kind of reimagining what it might have been, you know, using hindsight as as kind of a 2020 vision sort of thing on on that season um, and then projecting it forward is is for me kind of a, a fun exercise in left field, though. For a whole, a whole bunch of different reasons, it was a little bit less fun than it was in other spots. And that's not to say that you know there, there weren't interesting stories or bright spots or Andrew Vaughn playing that position for the first time, you know, since like Little League Baseball. It's just I, White Sox fans, you know what it was in left field last year. I, I mean, this was probably the biggest storyline that affected the White Sox through all of 2021, despite a huge lead in the American League Central, despite a pretty easy walk to a division crown. The story of Aloy Jimenez and his injury in spring training dominated uh, the, the narrative dominated the conversation for the White Sox in 2021. Outfield injuries, really in total, were an issue, of course, with Luis Robert going down uh, in the first two months of the season to a hip flexor injury. We talked about center field on, on uh, let's see, I think it was two weeks ago on the episode of White Sox Weekly there. But Aloy Jimenez was, I mean, he still is that dude for the White Sox. As talented as Robert is and as dynamic as Tim Anderson is and as all-around rounded as Yoan Mankata is, Aloy Jimenez. Oh, and, and, and you know, the, the MVP, the 2020 MVP at first base and Jose Abreu. Aloy Jimenez is, you know, to a lot of minds, that next guy that because of his power potential could really break out into an MVP type season, an MVP kind of candidate. And last year, after he was going up to, quote unquote, rob a home run and left at Camelback Ranch, with a, in a home run that really had no chance of being robbed. Aloy went up there, kind of hung on the wall a little bit, and tore a pectoral muscle, and that cost him quite a bit of time. Um, we'll get into Aloy, I think, a, as we go here. But because he went down in spring training, Aloy Jimenez played only 37 games in left field. And the White Sox were left to pick from some veterans, uh, some young rookie replacements, some you know minor league free agent signings, Uh, a couple of flyers to take the place of Aloy Jimenez in left field. Larry Garcia, Billy Hamilton, Jake Lamb, Brian Goodwin, Gavin Sheets, Adam Engel, Nick Williams, Luis Gonzalez, Danny Mendick, Adam Eaton, Romy Gonzalez, Andrew Vaughn, and Aloy Jimenez are each and every player that stepped into work in left field in 2021. And before we get to the big guy, you know, the primetime player in Aloy Jimenez, the guy that 
you know, in, in 2022, will hopefully return to the guy that we'd seen work in 2020 and even as, you know, even before that in 2019. I, I wanted to spend a little time talking about Andrew Vaughn because I think when you look at left field for 2022, that should be covered mostly by Aloy Jimenez, right? So as we look forward here, we'll get into Aloy. But as we look back, I think it's worth noting, and, and particularly Darren Jackson did a great job of highlighting this all season long. I, I've mentioned a couple of times in these um, positional review and preview series just how much DJ has has taught me about what to look for with outfield play. I was a garbage outfielder growing up in the, in the little bit of baseball I played, you know, Little League and Babe Ruth and some high school ball. But um, I, I never really appreciated the outfield because I couldn't do it. So learning from DJ, you know, one heck of an outfielder in his own right, um, and I think led a league in defensive run or uh, in, in zone rating, I think, in one year too. DJ was really good and, and pointed out the steps that Vaughn took in left field to get him to okay out there. And I think that's a huge step. I mean, it, it covered the White Sox and saved their bacon um, for 95 games uh, of, of Andrew Vaughn in left. Looking at his production offensively, I don't think there's any mistake that, you know, while he came on strong and was able to hit the other side of the platoon, you know, hit lefties with a little bit of power, righties hurt him. And I think the, the length of the season, the drag of it kind of got to him as well. He's talked a little bit about that some. You know, a lot of the other names that covered left field for the White Sox in 2021 – Leury Garcia, Billy Hamilton, Jake Lamb, Brian Goodwin, Nick Williams, Luis. I mean, these guys, these are guys that had to get out there and, and play a little bit and probably won't be out there again in 2022. So that leaves us with Aloy Jimenez. And before we get into the season that was for Aloy, we got a little bit of highlight action from Len Casper. Tyler, hit it. Two strikes on Aloy, the pitch. Drive the other way. She's going to go. That is a three-run bomb. It's 8-1. to one. That was a homer from Aloy Jimenez, one of a handful he hit last year, but you know, not enough in total. The, the season power output for Aloy Jimenez uh, is 10 home runs in 55 games played. And I, I think White Sox fans, as you look back, and I, I think as, as a lot of people look back at the season Eloy Jimenez had in total, was obviously underwhelming, but kind of, I don't know, in a weird way, understandable. He missed so much time, and it was clear from the get-go, like his very first couple of swings when he came back July 26th against the Kansas City Royals and had himself you know, two hits in the series, one of them a home run, not that home run in particular, um, but it was a three-run shot against the Royals back on July 27th. Um, it, it just it wasn't all together for Aloy. And it's weird because in the 55 games he played, I split it as, as best I could in half, you know, 55 being an odd number. 27 games, his first 27 games, Aloy hit 290 with an on-base percentage of 330 and slugged 542. He hit seven home runs in those 27 games. He struck out a ton, 25 strikeouts, and walked six times. In the second half of his very brief 55-game season in 2021, Aloy got lost. 28 games, a 208 batting average, a 276 on-base percentage, and he slugged 330. Three home runs, 32 strikeouts, 10 walks. He did become just a little bit more patient and I think a lot of that was because finding that breaking ball to hit, um, or, or rather even timing the fastball, uh, was pretty difficult for Aloy Jimenez at times. 
Now, in, in looking around and talking to or looking at season projections, uh, and we'll get to the Zips projection for Aloy Jimenez probably in the second segment here. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of people would look at the season Aloy had and go, okay, you can allow for that kind of a step back given the shape of the season he had, given the injury he had, all the rehab work he had to do, all the time he missed, and still kind of take a look at that third season in the bigs where, you know, for the second straight year, he played 55 games, 55 in 2020 due to the COVID and shorted seasoned, um, and then 55 games in 2021 due to the injury. All told, that's 232 games for Aloy Jimenez's big league career. He is a 270 career hitter with a 316 on base percentage and a 506 slugging percentage. He's 18% better than the average major league hitter over his career, an OPS plus of 118. And I think given, you know, given the prospect status he had when the Cubs took him in the international signing period, um, after the trade, you know, obviously a, a big deal that sent Jose Quintana over and Cease and, and, and Aloy back. This was, you know, the kind of guy that the White Sox thought could be, thought is a centerpiece for this current rebuild and this now, you know, contending team, top team in the American League Central. I think it's okay for White Sox fans to look at Aloy Jimenez and kind of think two things about the 2022 season to come. There's got to be more from Aloy Jimenez. And that's not just in games played and avoiding injury and playing a little bit better in left field. But there's got to be a little bit more contact. There's got to be a bit more of a cohesive approach at the plate, I think, for Loy Jimenez. And still, I think White Sox fans, while they you know, might be frustrated with the season he had and the injury he had and the decision to go up over the wall in the first place. Uh, gosh, I remember that White Sox Weekly being a really, um, well, almost a depressing episode at the time, you know, almost a, a little under a year ago today. There are... There's hopes and dreams pinned on Aloy in the middle of this White Sox lineup. And I, I think it's okay to keep asking, you know, as, as White Sox fans and as a, as a collective, you know, kind of baseball-watching consumers, I think it's okay to look at Aloy and go, there's got to be more. This could be a guy that hits 40, 45, maybe even gets up to the 50 home run mark. I, I think, you know, given his work ethic and the innate talent that he's got, it's there for Aloy Jimenez He's just got to show it to you. And those kind of players can be somewhat frustrating, but I think Aloy's in that category for reasons, you know, not necessarily outside of his own control. Let's not take the agency away from him. He, he played left field the way he played left field in that spring training game, and it was unfortunate. Rick Hahn, the GM of the team, and Tony La Russa has talked about that too. Aloy has as well. And you don't want to take the player out of the play, but at the same time, knowing it's a spring training game is a little bit different. Um, Aloy, though, still has the power potential and has the plate coverage to be that kind of um, all-around really brutal threat in a White Sox lineup. And I, I think that's as big a centerpiece around 2022 in the hopes the White Sox have in, in making it uh, back-to-back division titles as, as anybody. If you look at the offense, the entire offense shape the White Sox had in 2021 – you know, you saw improvements from a lot of different guys, you know, like Luis Robert, for instance. Uh, Tim Anderson had another good season. Um, you know, a lot of other places you can go, okay, that was really impressive. But there are just as many, um, Luis Robert being one of them again, and Aloy as well, a lot of guys that, that can improve and, and make their way to having, you know, kind of career-type seasons 
even on top of the last two years that they've had. And I, I kind of lump in that 2020 season because it was such a weird, strange thing is what it was. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Love to hear what you think about the White Sox and the left field. Uh, maybe Aloy Jimenez's prospects for the next couple of years. The, the, the only way, or really, Aloy Jimenez isn't the only way. His getting better isn't the only way the White Sox could improve both in the outfield and other places around the diamond. We'll talk about one of the crazier theories going around uh, White Sox Twitter here when we come back. Let you know as well that you can secure your spot at Guaranteed Rate Field this season with a 2022 ticket package. Catch the biggest matchups and enjoy 2022 postseason opportunities, flexible payment plans, and more. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. More on left field and some news and notes when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's home for sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2 and ESPN 1000. Now on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight. Here's the 0-2. Line drive, left field. Canna back over the wall. Vaughn with a two-run homer. Darren Jackson gets his wish, and the White Sox take the lead 3-2. Well, you got a dream, Connor, and the dream came true. That was a fun one. Late in the year, the White Sox were playing the A's at Guaranteed Rate Field. That was part of that stretch. I think White Sox fans will remember it. It was late in the season. It was after the trade deadline. Guys were hurt. Andrew Vaughn was in there. Lloyd come back, I think. It was the Angels and the A's. Uh, and then the Rays and the Blue Jays, all in one stretch of four weeks. That was that Rays trip where Tim Anderson was dealing with the hamstring issues and still had one heck of a game down there in Tampa, right in the middle of the uh, the real testing period for the White Sox, which they came out on top of uh, over that four weeks. And, of course, in the AL Central in 2021. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Uh, you can customize your game day menu in a private diamond suite. Check out our food and beverage options and learn more about our different suite sizes today. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Uh, the Andrew Vaughn highlight is uh, because we're taking a look at left field in 2021 and beyond. Vaughn, of course, taking up a lot of slack for the White Sox in left uh, was picked out of nowhere, well, not out of nowhere, but almost, it seemed, uh, to go play left field, having been a first baseman all of his college career. Did okay out there, the kind of guy where you you could throw him out there and know that he's, he's not going to get himself into too much trouble, um, maybe not the most fleet of foot, maybe not the most range, but certainly knows how to handle left field out there. And I listen, um, as we go farther and farther, further and further, doesn't matter, uh, into the seasons here, uh, into this decade of, of Major League Baseball, I really think you're going to see more and more guys. And, and this isn't the first time this has happened in this game. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of cyclical, the eras like this. But more and more corner guys, you know, that third base, that first baseman, that kind of thing. Uh, shoot, the guy who was going back on the ball, Mark Cannes, played in a couple of spaces and places. Um, he was going back on the Andrew Von Homer. Being able to get out to all of the corners, not just third, but maybe cover a little left, not just first, but maybe cover a little. Well, I guess it'd be left field for in Vaughn's case. Um, that helps a ball club, you know, being able to cover a spot or two extra, not, you know, for 20 or 25 games, 
but something like 10 or 12 can really help a club, especially as injuries pile up here. And I, I don't think here's another thing. I don't think that the, um, that the run of, of injuries that, you know, all the hamstrings, all the soft tissue injuries we saw last year uh, that a lot of people were attributing. I'm not talking about just the White Sox, but league wide that a lot of people were attributing to, um, you know, the, the, the layoff COVID season, spring training starting and stopping and then summer camp picking back up again on the 60 games and then an off season and then, you know, a full run um, for a lot of young guys, which was kind of the first full run of their careers. I, I think there's probably you know the teams are probably expecting some sort of uh, some sort of hop up again in injuries and protecting yourself with players that can play multiple positions uh, or at least cover you in a couple of spots I think is pretty big. So uh, Eloy Jimenez in left for 2022 and beyond that seems to be the plan for the White Sox and it's a good one. Obviously, a lot of conversation around Aloy when he got hurt, whether or not DH is going to be in that mix or, or maybe more part of a, a permanent positional placement for Aloy Jimenez. I think we're probably still a year or two away from having that conversation realistically. Um, the the, the lo- lineup construction for the White Sox with Yasmani Grandal and Jose Abreu and Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn, um, all to different degrees, but all kind of needing that DH spot at times during the season probably prohibits the White Sox from playing any one person at DH too much. And, you know, depending on what they do to finish off their off season, you know, you still have a, a potential pending Craig Kimbrell trade. You've got second base and likely right field to address figure. The lineup stays mostly that way where the DH spot, at least in 22 is occupied by a handful of guys and not just one. Got a couple of, a uh, couple of little extra things for you. It's perfect for the news and notes segment here on White Sox Weekly. Tyler, hit it. White Sox Weekly now brings you live correspondence from the far realms of the baseball universe. Everything from seams to batteries. And anything from cash considerations to dirty inning situations. Here's young Connor McKnight. Thanks, big voice guy. Appreciate it. As always, it's the news and notes segment here on White Sox Weekly. Just a couple of days ago, Marco Patti. Uh, Director of International Operations for the White Sox, and Oscar Colas, one of the big signings for the White Sox in the international signing period, had a press conference, wanted to bring you a cut or two from that. This will be uh, Oscar Colas. Um, he was asked, you know, everybody had called him the show, uh, the, the Cuban Otani coming into this international signing period. This is Colas's words through the voice of White Sox interpreter Billy Russo. He was answering the question about his potential of pitching as he continues or starts his minor league career and into his big league career, hopefully soon with the White Sox. Uh, pitching is in the past for me. Uh, I think the last time that I pitched was my first year in Japan. Uh, you know, when I signed with the organization, uh, you know, they told me that they weren't interested in my, in my pitching, and uh, I wasn't really into it. That then uh, it was an easy deci- uh, decision. My focus right now is, is in a, just uh, be a, an outfielder. So what is your reaction when people refer to you as the uh, Cuban Otani? I don't pay too much attention to that. Uh, you know, I, uh, I think that that nickname was uh, created because you know, I used to pitch, uh, but, uh, you know, it wasn't really uh, my thing. Uh, to me, it's, it's an honor to be called uh, that way because Otani is a great player and he's one of my favorite players. But, uh, you know, right now it's... My focus is, is, is in just playing out the outfit. 
One more here from that press conference. Uh, the other big-time signing, international signing the White Sox made, was for Eric Hernandez, a Dominican outfielder. Uh, about a million dollars in the signing bonus, first time in a while. The White Sox have uh, put a Dominican signee in the international uh, international signing period to that big a bonus. Uh, 16 years old, lots of power, and Marco Patti, one of the big reasons the Sox landed Eric Hernandez, um, talked a bit about the power potential for the young man. I don't know if you guys remember, but you know the White Sox used to have an academy in Mocacuari quite a few years back, and he still remember going as a young kid to go see the White Sox play Mocha. So uh, he's been a bigger friend of us before we got to know him. Uh, but, you know, he's a great, great kid, hard worker, hard nose, high energy type of player, left-handed bat, very advanced bat for a 16-year-old kid. You know, we spent quite a few times with quite a few uh, trips with him. He played in the States, played in Arizona with the MLB Combine. We've seen him in the Dominican. We've seen him in other countries in showcases. And he's displayed the ability to hit that most kids don't show at that age. And then to play in the outfield, to play, be able to play center field at this age, this young, is very impressive. And, you know, the power that he has and the power that he projects is also that gave us the uh, confirmation that he has a chance to be a special player also. One more piece of news and or notes here on White Sox Weekly. Happy birthday to Jose Abreu. He turns 35 today, the 2020 AL MVP. It's number one in the hearts of a lot of White Sox fans, so we thought we'd play a highlight for you today on White Sox Weekly. The pitch to Abreu is hit in the air to left. That is number 200. And his second Grand Slam of the year. Another hanging breaking ball to Abreu. Kept the left shoulder closed, waited, and launched. What a beautiful swing for Jose Abreu. 30 home runs for Abreu in 2021. A little bit of an up-and-down season in that year, uh, but not necessarily because of Abreu. I mean, the guy got hit. A whole bunch while up at the plate, uh, 22 times, and a few injuries derailed his uh, his season along the way. But still, uh, a more than quality year for Jose Abreu, 125 OPS plus. Um, and uh, happy birthday to Jose. When we come back, we've got our guest coming up, Jesse Rogers, ESPN, is going to talk with us about the lockout. We'll actually get into it this week. Uh, those two sides were talking uh, a couple of different times over the week that was and we'll see what the latest is with Jesse when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White, White Sox, Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Upgrade your game day experience this season. The Guaranteed Rate Club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage. Ticket packages start at 20 games. They include flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Or I could give you the personal cell number of one Jesse Rogers of ESPN. He covers the league so well that he knows probably more than anybody 
about hanging out at the Guaranteed Rate Club and all the perks of being welcome at every ballpark around America. He's our guest here on White Sox Weekly. Jesse, good morning. Thanks, as always, for the time, my man. How are you? I'm doing good. Happy upcoming nuptials, by the way, Connor. Very excited Thank for you. you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on is, I mean, I know White Sox fans are, are well familiar with your voice and your work, but you're in for me the next two yeah. weeks, so I thought we'd chat before you take over while I'm out. Wouldn't it be great if this lockout ended so then I'd really have some, some you know, fun stuff to talk about the next two Saturdays? That's what I'm hoping for. It's a very if, selfish thing. But I, I'd love to talk about the end of the lockout come next Saturday or the week after. We'll see. Knowing my luck, that is exactly how this is going to go. The lockout's <laughs> going to end Thursday. I'm going to get on a plane and go somewhere warm, and you're going to have all the fun baseball stuff to talk about. Um, where is the... Let's start here, Jesse. What, yeah. what is the temperature? What is the weather like between these two sides right now? We'll get into the, some of the specifics, but you know, having met the two sides a, a couple of times this last week, that seems different. It's been reported as different. Is it really? I, at the beginning of the week, I thought I thought like you did that. You know, activity meant something. But you know, my my old friend Dan Jiggets used to say, "Don't confuse activity with accomplishment." By the end of the week. I was a little less optimistic than I was at the beginning. Now, both sides are giving off a, 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 a still giving off a negative vibe, but that also could be posturing, right? We're not quite at the deadline yet. And certainly on the player side, they have to show complete resolve. And then if they are going to give in, it's going to be at the last minute. And I don't mean give in completely. I just mean on this point or that point. So um, any, any, any sort of pessimism, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt because they could just be talking tough until the last minute. But I think the optimism from early in the week, you also have to take with a grain of salt. So we're kind of where we've always been. Um, there's just uh, some, a, a couple big impasses. And it's, and it's even more than an impasse. It, it's just, I think our buddy Jeff Passon put it right, and it still it, it fits. I think everyone can understand this. One side speaking Spanish, the other side mm. speaking French. They're both speaking. They're talking. They're languages that, that make sense to people that understand them. But if, if you don't understand them, you're, you're going to be talking past each other. I'll give you an example, Connor, for, for example. The league feels like they're not getting credit for, for certain things that they've brought to the table that have never been brought up before, like the NBA-style draft, for example. Or this week, you probably heard about this pre-arbitration bonus pool. So for people that don't know, it's, it's pretty simple – um, if you're a player from uh, that has one, two, you know, zero, one, two uh, years of service time, you you get renewed for a certain amount of money. There's no negotiating going on. Once you enter the arbitration system, there's some negotiating going on. So for players from zero to three years, you're pretty much paid whatever the team wants to pay you. Even if you win the MVP, you're going to make seven hundred thousand dollars in your second year. Um, but now they've said, okay, yes. We will, give a, we will give a bonus to the top 30 players according to war, along with the award winners, who obviously will be in that top 30, Cy Young MVP. We'll, we'll commit to a pool of money. Now, they're offering $10 million in that pool to be divvied up every year. The, the, the union wants $105 million. There's a huge difference. But the league is saying, look, you had zero before. Give us credit for even offering this up. Now, yes, we'll negotiate what that number should be, but it's not going to be the middle between 10 and 100. It's just not, even though it sounds like it should be. The, the league wants credit for even saying yes to that. The union is saying, okay, 
we the yes is something, but we want a hundred million in that pool. So the league is feeling like they're not even getting credit for introducing things that have never been part of the the conversation before. While the union is saying we deserve that at the minimum, now let's talk about how much should be in that pool, and it should be closer to a hundred million. So it's just this disconnect that's going on. The league not getting credit for things. The union saying it's all broken and needs to be fixed, and um, that's where we are. I've seen it in a couple of different places, Jesse, that the union's kind of strategy around this is not presenting any one issue as the biggest, but kind of elevating all of their issues to the same level, uh, kind of like on the same platform. Do you expect that's the kind of the central thesis of their bargaining here, of their negotiations, or will that begin to fall away as we get closer and closer to spring training? Is that part of the resolve that you talked about really at the, at the start of our conversation? Here? Yeah, it is. And I think that's a great point. I think you hit the nail on the head and it's what the league wants to know as well. There's no way they're going to win on every point. Now, maybe they should win on most of them because it is an antiquated system, but you have to understand, and I'm down the middle about this. We're all pro player. We, we love players. They're the ones, the stars. But I, I understand how this has worked. I've talked to both sides for several months. You can't expect the owners who have negotiated this system to this point to just reverse course and, and reverse what 30 years of negotiations have brought them. So what you can expect, though, is a couple wins. And you are right. Where are the priorities for the players? What's number one? What's number two? And, you know, maybe stop right there because you're probably not going to get to three, four, or five. So you're exactly right, and that's what I'm talking about. They're talking tough. They're talking resolve. But when those paychecks start to be, you know, potentially in jeopardy come late March, early April, that's when we'll find out what's really important. I mean, in a perfect world, they would love the minimum salary to increase dramatically to 775000 and they'd love the CBT the, you know, that tax to increase dramatically as well. So what does that do? Of course, that takes care of the complete membership of their union, meaning all those young players get paid more because you'll start at a, at a higher minimum and then you'll go up from there. And then, of course, the stars will get paid more because all of a sudden the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cubs, the White Sox, they'll have a higher threshold, you know, before they hit that tax to spend on star players. That's what the union would love. The league is saying we are not infusing that much more money into the pie. They might eventually say, pick one or the other. You want to raise the minimum? Fine. You want to raise the CBT? Fine. You're not going to raise both. It looks to me, and and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it looks to me that there are three potential things that will affect kind of the the end user here that are in play, you know, the, the fan, right? There's this talk about the DH in the National League, of course. There's a draft lottery, and the idea of expanded playoffs continuing all seem like they're they're going to happen in some way, shape, or form. Can you, can you rank for us you know, which one seems most likely to be implemented or, or if they're all equally as likely to be implemented starting in 2022? Where, what are the state of those three things? Are there more things that you think are, uh, are definitely in as soon as all the yelling and screaming and shouting and arguing is over? Right, right. I'll work backwards. I think there's going to be less rule changes entering 2022 than you might have imagined. Um, because they need to get through all this. And I don't remember Rob Manfred can implement some things unilaterally. He really doesn't need to negotiate some things, but I don't think he wants to rankle the union any more than they are. For example, a pitch clock in a, in a different world, if everything was harmonious, I think he'd be implementing that as soon as possible. But I think that's going to wait. 
and maybe big changes to like the shift or something. I think that's going to wait because they've got these economic issues to deal with. But but to go back to some of the things you said, I think the DH is probably in. And and now we'll throw in the fact that if spring training is shortened again in any way possible because of the labor, maybe because of the pandemic, then that's another reason to, to implement the DH. They don't need pitchers trying to get ready at the plate while while trying to get ready on the mound in a, in a shortened spring training. So I think the DH will be in at the end of the at the end of the day with the negotiations. I'm pretty sure expanded playoffs will be in, whether it be 12 or 14 teams. I'm not I'm not positive there, but mm. and I'm not 100% sure that's going to be part of it, but I think it will be because it's the one thing the union can give to the to the to the league. But of course, they're going to ask for some big things back, which is what they've been doing. So, DH expanded postseason, I think are in. I think the other uh, rule changes are a lot of them are going to be put on hold, as as I just said. Um, they may figure out something new for the extra innings, for example. Maybe it's not ten innings, maybe it's twelve innings before they put a man on second. Uh, but I think any of those on field changes are going to be very minor compared to these core economic issues. Jesse, appreciate it as always. And here's hoping that that extra man on second base doesn't come into play until like the 25th inning in 2022. It's just nonsense and it needs to go away. Yeah, well, it's the least of their worries, though. That's that's <laughs> the issue here. So let's see what happens. Here, I'm writing a, a, a timeline for Monday at ESPN.com if you want to read it. I mean, I guess nothing really matters until the first spring games because that's where revenues lost, fans, tickets, whatever. They need to be in camp by February 19th to play on the 26th. They need at least a week, at least. Yeah. So that that's kind of like deadline-ish to me. And then after that, the next deadline for the regular season is kind of like March 3rd, March 5th. You, you, you know, they had a 23-day spring training during the pandemic. That wasn't enough. They, they'd like a 28-day spring training. So early March is kind of where we're getting to the point where the regular season could be in jeopardy. But let's start with, you know, February, you know, report dates are the 15th, spring days the 26th. Work back about a week from them uh, in order to open those, those, you know, to be on time with either of those things. That's what I'm looking at right now. We're coming close. We'll look forward to it on uh, on Monday, that piece coming out from Jesse on ESPN.com. Jesse, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon, and thanks for covering me over the next You got it, Connor. En- en- enjoy the vacation and the honeymoon and the wedding and everything. Be well. I will. Appreciate Congrats it so again. much. See it's ya. Jesse Rogers, ESPN.com. He knows the score. You can check out his newest piece coming out Monday on the MLB lockout and the timeline that both sides are under. We'll talk a little Hall of Fame when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back. White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Sox fans, you can completely customize your 2022 season with a 10-game ticket plan that fits your schedule and your budget. Don't miss any of the action to come. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com or call 312-674-1000. Just got done taking a look at the, uh, the big updates or the latest with MLB's lockout situation with Jesse Rogers of ESPN in case you missed it. Download the ESPN Chicago app. All of our shows, uh, both here on White Sox Weekly and everywhere on the ESPN 1000 flagship station, 
are downloadable in podcast form. If you missed a minute, if you missed the whole thing, download it and take it with you on the drive to your workout or maybe just when you're sitting around the house, hanging out at home, trying to avoid everything that's going on. This We're great for you. Just download it and listen to each and every episode. Jesse was awesome recapping and taking a look forward on what's come in MLB's lockout situation. You know, one of the one of the funner things, funner? One of the more fun things we had in this last week of baseball uh, was the Hall of Fame voting. Uh, Tyler Aki's our producer on the other side, and I, I often like to talk with Ty a little bit uh, about his own baseball fandom, just kind of the differences between the two. If you listen to ESPN 1000, you know that Tyler is uh, what, 15, 17 years old? License next week. Yep. Great. Really, really happy for you. No, but in all seriousness, I, I really like talking baseball with, with Tyler because um, there's, a, there's a generation of fandom in between me at, at age 36 and Tyler at age 24, right? The guys that are going into the hall right now, I watched in high school and and thought were the, the best thing ever. And and Tyler now is, is watching players. You know, you're watching guys who will, you know, like Trout, who will go into the fame when you're old and, and have very little left to offer the world like I am. Uh, and you will then tell children, tell kids that you watched these guys when they were all powerful. I mean, I we can do the whole thing on on what the Hall of Fame should be and the conversation around steroids, the conversation around the morals clause, the ethics clauses that are involved in Hall of Fame voting. But I, I will say this, and, and Tyler, I, I think, you know, I want to get your perspective on, on David Ortiz as a player. I, I vividly, like, viscerally remember the 2004 World Series run the Red Sox went on. I remember them coming back from down, you know, three – it's – you know, what is it? Seven days in October, the yep. documentary mm-hmm. of that baseball, of that Red Sox team where, you know, Kevin Millar is, you know, don't let us win tonight. Don't let us win tonight. David Ortiz was superhuman for two months. He was, he was a superhuman baseball player for two straight months. And I, you know, one of my, one of my good friends in broadcasting, uh, you know, Matt Spiegel on the other side of things, he said this a lot and I believe in it. Can you tell the story of baseball without this guy? If not, if, or if, if, if he needs to be in the story, then he should probably be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, whether you want to take umbrage at Ortiz being a first ballot guy or being primarily a DH or whatever, I hear it. I'm willing to listen to it. But at the end of the day, David Ortiz is, what, is, is one of the biggest stories around one of the biggest teams in the history of baseball. And, you know, I'm a big Hall guy when it comes down to it. I, I want more players than less in the Hall of Fame. Um, I believe in its entity as a as a museum of the game, of telling the story of this game. Uh, and for a lot of years, steroids were a big part of it. Um, I think it's worth breaking that steroid into era into maybe two different um, two different segments. You know, the Wild West that was during Barry Bonds and Sosa and McGuire and stuff. And then after testing came in, after guys started failing testing, after they changed the rules. And guys like Alex Rodriguez got popped. So I don't know. That's just kind of where I stand on things. I, Tyler, I don't know where you, you know, as, as a generation uh, younger than me in baseball, I don't know where you sit on David Ortiz, but I have to imagine that in a lot of ways, the, the steroid conversation that envelops Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame talk is, is getting pretty stale. It is for me. I'm 100% with you on pretty much everything you said there. And I think part of it for my generation is, those were our guys growing up. Like you think about the early video games that we played. Yeah. Like we loved playing with David Ortiz. We loved playing with Barry Bonds. We loved, I mean, 
One of the greatest video games of our childhoods is MVP Baseball 05. Who's smack dab on the cover there? Manny Ramirez. Yep. And, and those are the guys we grew up with. So I think my generation is certainly more lenient in that regard of just get these guys in. And one of the things that I think, whether you want to designate it in a certain wing and put all those guys in that wing as like the steroid Hall of Famers, whether you want to put it on their plaque, the thing that I think should happen is for all the guys that you put in that are a big part of this steroid era, you mark down, you tell them, you will be going into the Hall of Fame, but on your plaque, we are putting that you were a steroid user, you failed tests, just something to denote that, just so people know, because it's part yeah. of the game. It's, it's the facts. You know, I mean, I, I don't know why, you know, in a, a lot of different places, we, we like to run away from facts or, or hide from them or what have you. Um, you know, there's another conversation to be had around around the morals clause and, and allegations that that may or may not be standing up for some of these players. Uh, I think that's a valid, valid reason or a valid reasoning to, to include that kind of stuff on the plaque. I do just want to say real quickly here before we get out of here. Um, I know the boys are coming up with the hockey show in just a couple of minutes. Patrick Sharp is uh, Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley's guest at 10.30. There's going to be a whole lot of handsome on the station at 10.30 with all three of those guys. Mark Burley is still on the ballot, White Sox fans. He did lose some votes, but he kept the 5% that's needed. Um, And I think tracking his Hall of Fame candidacy, the conversation around Burley will be a lot of fun, hopefully for the next eight years or so, and that he stays on the ballot. I I think his career is worthy, more than worthy of conversation for a whole bunch of different reasons. Become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash email today. That's my White Sox, last White Sox weekly for a couple of weeks. I'm going to go get married next Saturday and on the honeymoon after that. Jesse Rogers and Tyler Aki will take good care of you over the next two Saturdays. And, you know, here's hoping the lockout ends so that they've got a whole lot to talk about. The boys have the hockey show next. Thanks for listening. It's ESPN 1000.